Welcome to the Boom Clap Podcast. We're going to get into pandemic amnesty today and whether or not we should (laughs) grant that. I know that we're about a week late on this story, but being late to a story isn't always a bad thing because sometimes good conversation is better than quick conversation. Actually, always good conversation is better than quick conversation, right? Um, We're going to talk pandemic amnesty. Uh, Ben Shapiro changed his tune on vaccines, which also goes along with this pandemic amnesty. It seems like the more information is coming out, people just kind of want to wash their hands of everything that they said and did. And so this Ben Shapiro thing got very little airtime. In fact, I only saw one clip of it last week and I find it very interesting. There's a lot to say. We'll get into that. Um, The first thing, though, we're going to discuss is NPR, um, the National Public Radio, actually went to an abortion clinic in Michigan this last week, and they recorded an abortion live and played it on air. It was an 11-minute clip. Um, We're not going to play that for you here, but we will link it in the show notes so that if you want to go listen, you can. The first nine minutes, minutes actually they spend talking to the people working in the clinic, including a security guard and a doctor. I use air quotes when I say doctor because I just don't understand how this is like actually a physician. Um, And then they talk to some women who are there getting abortions, seeking abortions, particularly a few women from out of state. Um, And my first thought when I heard this was, I cannot believe, because obviously their whole point in in playing this, they talk about it multiple times, is the election coming up. And by the time this airs, you know, the election will have been passed. But this was the point of airing this conversation with these women seeking abortions was elections are coming. And, you know, these rights, quote, rights, um, are on the line. And I was just floored that anyone in their right mind, regardless of your stance, would think that playing the sounds of suctioning a Mm -hmm. baby that was alive a few minutes ago out of a woman is somehow going to make people sympathetic to people wanting abortions. Yeah, it actually, it makes me sick to my stomach. And did the conversation going on in the room while while this baby is Uh being killed is just so ordinary. It's like she's getting a cavity filled or having a pap smear or something, they, you know? They even liken it to giving birth. Like, it's, yeah. it's similar to giving birth. Right. And there's, like, relaxing music and support. And it's like, ooh. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, the conversation that you and I had about it this morning, I just, I told you that I was struck by the fact that I was listening to these people talk through this this thing that they believed to be like good and right and true. And it sounded disgenuine to me. And I don't even necessarily think that they were being disgenuine. It's just so far from my worldview that Mm -hmm. it sounds foreign and it, it butts up against everything in me and it, it just, it screams evil. It screams wrong. And they're on the other side of it, like celebrating And it's, I don't quite know how to describe like that, that feeling of conflict. And like, I've always known that having a Christian worldview sets you apart from others, but this was such a clear example of it. Like it just, Mm -hmm. it, there's no reconciling that to good in my worldview. Yeah. And they don't, like you said, they don't even have any like concept of this Mm -hmm. being wrong. It's just, it's like a a blank stare, you know, like they just don't even, it doesn't even register as wrong. And that part is mind blowing to me. Um, I, I do hope, my hope that with this being played, because it is being heavily, heavily shared now, Um, Mm -hmm. by people who disagree with abortion. My hope is that this is counterproductive to the agenda of abortion. I don't Mm -hmm. see how it could be helpful in any way. I did get a message today uh, that said, I was sort of pro-choice, meaning I thought thought it was wrong and shouldn't be illegal. Mm -hmm. So she thought Mm -hmm. it was wrong, but also didn't think it should be illegal for, for a few years. Seeing the actual depravity of these people has pushed me firmly pro-life. I'm ashamed I was blind and fell for the safe, 
legal and rare argument. And I think Mm -hmm. that um, these women that they're interviewing are showing it's not rare. And Mm -hmm. hearing this, quote, doctor speak on how many patients, you know, the way, I don't think she actually gives a number of how many patients come in, but when she's talking, you get the idea that she's performing a lot of these a day. They talk about how we do chemical abortions in the morning and then in the afternoon we do the surgical abortion procedures. And it's Mm -hmm. like an everyday thing. And Mm -hmm. it really shows that this is, this argument is not about women's health. It is not about, you know, um, anything other than using killing as a form of birth control. Yeah. I just, I think of Psalm 139, right? Which is like the classic, it's a classic scripture that people go to, to talk about the value of life. But it says in verse 13 and 14, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And this is not just talking about this one person was formed in his mother's womb, knitted together fearfully and wonderfully. Like this is all people for Mm -hmm. all time. And I was having a discussion with someone once who was very pro-abortion. And the question that I posed to this person is like, well, when is it, when does this become a baby in your mind? Like, or not even in your mind, when does this become a baby? Like actually, to me, that moment is at conception because I just can't see it being rationalized any other way. Everything else seems extremely arbitrary. And, you know, she couldn't answer that question. You know, she knew that to kill the baby after birth would be wrong, but couldn't couldn't pinpoint like when during the pregnancy that became a baby and not okay to kill. I, I just yeah. couldn't imagine being okay with that ambiguity And not knowing, like, oh, well, you know, this day it's not a baby. The next day maybe it is a baby. Well, I think this goes back to just something in general, a thread that's running throughout society right now is our Mm -hmm. lack of responsibility. And I think Mm -hmm. this – so one day it was after the election in 2020. My husband was like, why – is freedom such a hard sell? Like we're just standing in our kitchen making breakfast. And he's like, why is freedom such a hard sell for people? And I'm like, because freedom requires responsibility Mm -hmm. and people do not want responsibility. And I think the same thing happens with, you know, abortion and the abortion conversation. If people don't know, if they do not force their mind to go Mm -hmm. there to try to logically think through this process and when does a baby become a baby and why do we call bacteria alive, but we don't call a baby alive and Mm -hmm. all of these things, if they don't go there, then they cannot be held responsible for their decisions. And I think that this is, I, I think that is the root of it. They don't want to be responsible. There's like, well, I didn't know you know, or mm. it was okay. It was legal, you know, those kind of things. Yeah. It, it goes with that thought of it's a lot easier to ask forgiveness than permission. You know, yes. it's easier to wash your hands of it and, and, um, claim innocence. So, yeah, I, yeah. I do want to say if you guys listen to that clip, I want you to hear, cause they talk to some women who obviously have hardship in their lives and then they go into the stance of not everyone who is coming for an abortion has hardship, right? Some of these women have great careers and a great family life and already have kids even. And they mm. they interview a woman who says she has three kids. This is her fourth. And she's just ready to be done with that phase of her life. And mm. she quote unquote says, I wouldn't trade my kids for anything. And then here mm. she is pregnant with another child and trading that kid for something, for her freedom. She literally Mm -hmm. says, I just want something for myself. And that is her reason for getting an abortion, which I I just, again, don't understand how anyone could hear this and think that's good. Yeah. My my heart just aches for all these little souls, you know, that are just treated as if they're nothing. So, yeah. Yeah. The good news is God does not forget those babies. Thank God for that. So, yeah. 
All right. So switching from this very heavy topic to, I mean, I wouldn't say this is a light topic, (laughs) but (laughs) it's one that we can be a little more fiery and happily passionate about. Um, The pandemic amnesty topic. I I think I would, I would use this term broadly covering the Ben Shapiro portion as well. Um, Mm. Let's get into Ben Shapiro first and play, play those clips. Yeah. So I'm going to pull up this clip and this is Ben Shapiro being interviewed by Ali Beth Stuckey on her podcast, Relatable. This is back in August, 2021. And I just want to preface this by saying, I love Ali Beth Stuckey, huge fan of, well, huge fan sounds weird, but I am a fan of her podcast. I don't listen to it all of the time, but I listen to it frequently. I feel like she has a lot of wisdom. I feel like Ben Shapiro also is a great voice to, to listen to. He's intelligent. He's got a lot of good things to say. I will always probably check in with him and see what his take is on a lot of cultural issues. This is something in particular um, that we wanted to play because recently Ben Shapiro kind of apologized slash expressed his anger over how he felt that he and others had been lied to by, what was it, Rita, the pharmaceutical industry, public health officials? Yeah, it was, it was right after that um, Pfizer executive admitted in the UK mm. that the vaccines weren't tested for transmission. Like this was yeah. his wake up call, I guess. Yeah. After all of the things that have been said, yes. this, was, this was it. Yeah. So it was a bit of a late wake up call. Like when you think in relation to how long, Just a bit. yeah, we've been talking about stuff like this. Um, but again, this is not anything against him personally or the work he does. I still think he's a really valuable voice. Um, but we just wanted to bring this to light because whether you're on the left or the right or follow people on the left or the right, they're not always right, you know, or I should say correct after saying left and right. They're not always correct. doesn't matter if this is a person who has been right a lot of the time in the past they're not always right. So we can't just switch off our critical thinking because it's a person we trust. Doesn't mean that they're not trustworthy anymore. It just means that we have to think critically through it. So I'm going to play a little bit of this podcast. Um, Again, relatable with Ali Beth Stuckey. This is episode 463, interviewing Ben Shapiro. Oh, I'm so, so glad the, that you corrected that because I told everyone before you got on that you said that it was the mark of the beast. So that's not right. Yeah. That's not right. Listen, I'm just happy to be, honestly, like, I'm just happy to be microchipped. Like, right. If I'm kidnapped, Bill Gates knows where I am now, so we're good. Yes, and you're magnetic and all that. I don't know what superpower that gives us. I heard that when you get vaccinated, you're magnetic, too, so um, that's pretty cool. I go in the dark. It's wow. Wow. So that's yeah. why you're so pro-vaccine. That makes sense. Um, okay, let's let's talk about vaccine for just a second. I know you've been talking about it a lot, but I get questions about this every day uh, from people saying, okay, you know, I've done I've done the calculations for me, for my family. Don't want to get the vaccine, some people are saying, and yet they're mandating it at my work or I'm a federal employee and I don't know what to do. I mean, what do you tell those people? I know you want them to get vaccinated, but say they don't want to. Um, what's your advice for those people? So, I mean, if you don't want to get vaccinated, it's still a free country. And that means that, you know, you can push back against your employer. The, the truth is your employer does have uh, a broad level of legal protection in making you get vaccinated. I mean, that's just the truth of private employment in the United States. It's also true under public health statutes. There's not a lot you can do legally speaking. But if you choose not to get a vaccine, certainly I think you should be able to make that sort of choice. And frankly, you know, at, at my company, we don't mandate that everybody get a vaccine because you're an adult. And one of the beautiful things about the vaccines is that they're so effective that now that I'm vaccinated, frankly, it's none of my business whether you're vaccinated at this point. And if you get COVID and you get seriously ill, that one's on you, frankly. You're, you're an individual human being. You have the capacity to make your own decisions. I think that if you're above a certain age, it is very, very stupid not to get vaccinated. I think that if you're below a certain age, I think that it's more of a question. Um, but you know, everybody is an individual. You all get to make your own decisions, and I can't live your life for you. What do you make of a lot of the messaging that we are seeing that seems to actually disincentivize people uh, to get the vaccine, people who are already hesitant, but maybe maybe they were thinking about getting it, but then they saw the CDC saying, you know, we're only a few variants away from the vaccine not working, and they're like, well, why the heck would I, why the heck would I even get it? What's with the back and forth and the waffling from people who say that everyone absolutely has to get vaccinated? They're insane. 
They're insane. The public health bureaucracy is completely out of its mind. Yeah. The, the latest advice, which is that vaccinated people are supposed to mask up, is predicated on such abject nonsense that it makes the head spin. I mean, the Washington Post had an entire piece today talking about how they haven't presented no data. The CDC has presented no data, and now even the Washington Post is asking questions about that. So, you know, what I frequently like to do when I'm looking for data on the efficacy of the vaccines is I go to this place called the CDC, and then I look at their actual stats. And you know what those stats show me? They show me that of the 161 million people who have been vaccinated in the United States, a grand total of less than 6,000 have been hospitalized with COVID-related symptoms, and many, many fewer have died, which means that if you get the vaccine, your chances of ending up in the hospital with COVID are something like one in 27,223, last mm-hmm. time I checked. that Those are not bad odds, right? I mean, the, the risk factors are wildly lowered. And, and beyond that, why am I supposed to mask up in order to protect a bunch of people who have the option to get vaccinated at any point. Why am I supposed to mask my kids in order to make that happen for people who choose not to get vaccinated? In fact, the message should be pretty simple. The vaccines are very effective. If you choose not to get the vaccine, that's your choice. You can live with that. But nobody is going to baby you, and no one is going to protect you from getting COVID from the highly infectious Delta variant because you don't wish to get the vaccine. That would be an incentive for people to actually go out and get the vaccine at this point. But the CDC is just like, and what they're saying about the vaccine, too, is just not rooted in data. So, for example, Rochelle Walensky, the head of the CDC, she said on national TV yesterday that the reason that vaccinated people ought to mask up when they go into public places is because out of every 20 people who have the vaccine, maybe one or two of those people are going to get a breakthrough case. That's just a lie. It's not true. The CDC itself says that the rate of breakthrough cases, symptomatic breakthrough cases in the United States for the vaccinated is not one in 10, which would be 10%. It's not two in 10, certainly, which would be 20%. The rate is 0.098%, which is approximately one in every 10,000 people get vaccinated will get some sort of breakthrough case that's symptomatic, according to the CDC. Okay. Yeah. So (laughs) I guess like all of those people that were the breakthrough cases, if Mm. it's the 0.098% just happen to be like people I know. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) That is so crazy. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Literally, I don't know. I don't want to say everyone I know because there's like one or two people that I can think of that I know are vaccinated that they don't know if they've had COVID or not. But literally 99.89% of the people that I know who are vaccinated have had COVID and they've had it worse than me. Yeah. Like one of the nurses I know that I used to work with, her whole family was sick, but she was the only vaccinated one and was sicker than the rest of them. Like I just, Mm. you know. Not that that's always the case. We're not saying that's always the case. But I'm just saying like the stuff that was said on this podcast is not true. And I know like you preface this and everything. And I do want to say like, because I'm going to be pretty strong in my words probably here. Like I do not want the takeaway from this to be, I hate Ben Shapiro or Mm -hmm. I think Ben Shapiro is dumb. Like that is not the takeaway from this. But I think that maybe, I, I don't know. I just question not his intellect. I think he is very intelligent, but mm-hmm. I do definitely, after all of this, question his ability to evaluate things from a common sense standpoint. And I question his gullibility. Like his job is literally one of not being easily persuaded, rather having mm-hmm. like an, an actual like eye that can evaluate information critically. And he did not do that. At all. Like this this was an extreme gullible situation. And one thing I will say, like we're going to play in a little bit his follow-up to this because he changed his tune somewhat just this last week. Um, His wife is a doctor. So I think that's very interesting to take into consideration as well. I believe his wife's a doctor. Mm -hmm. That's what he said, right? Yeah. And so um, that's interesting to take into consideration his blind trust of the medical world and the CDC. Like, He even Mm -hmm. says it in such a condescending way. I go to this place called the CDC when I want data. This little place called the CDC. Yeah, this little place called the CDC. Like, ugh. Yeah. (laughs) But you know what? It isn't isn't surprising. Part of what makes him popular is his very blunt approach, right? Like, that's what people like. Um, Yeah, and I'm good with blunt, but... Totally. The thing is... The the reason I am not good with Blunt in this situation and his condescending nature is the mm-hmm. fact that he makes 
I don't know how much money, but makes a good income on going against the government and championing small government. If you listen to the rest of this episode with him, he even goes into um, promoting his book on authoritarianism and like talking about how authoritarianism is bad, but it it, talks about masks as part of that authoritarianism. Mm -hmm. But then in the portion about the COVID vaccine, he's using masks as a way to incentivize people to get the vaccine, right? Like, well, Mm -hmm. I don't need to wear a mask because I'm vaccinated. I'm 100% protected. You know, like, I'm not good with Blunt in this situation because he's talking down to the majority of the population that subscribes to his line of thinking. And this, everything he's saying right here flies in the face of small government libertarianism um, and and like his stance against authoritarianism, right? Yeah. The part that I struggle with a lot was the very beginning part too. And this is a little bit off what you were just talking about, but where they were basically saying like, oh, if you get, they were joking, but it was also very condescending. You know, like Mm -hmm. if you get the vaccine, you're magnetic, you glow in the dark, um, microchipped, whatever. Obviously those, those things aren't, well, the microchipped and the, um, glow in the dark, whatever, obviously not true. Right. But what they're doing is they're taking a shot at people who did Mm -hmm. believe that. And while that might not be something that, you should necessarily believe it is still really, really demeaning. Um, Mm -hmm. and just the way it happened. So that's disappointing. When I sent this to you the other day, like I had no clue that Ben Shapiro was pro vaccine to this extent, because like I, I hadn't paid attention at all Mm -hmm. to his stance on vaccination. I don't really pay attention to much he posts other than recently. Like I have seen like all of his reaction videos, which have also made me think like, this is shallow. But um, you sent me this podcast episode with Allie Beth because I had not listened to it. I had no clue. But just the whole the whole picture of this podcast was two people talking through vaccination. And Allie Beth has recently come out saying she's not vaccinated. But throughout this podcast episode, she does not take a stance that Um, would indicate that she's not vaccinated, which is okay. You don't have to share your status. That's right. But when you refer to us like being magnetic and these people and things like that, like it just, it sits with me in a way that says that maybe she was afraid to share her, um, her questions or, um, her consideration that maybe the vaccine isn't the best choice for her with Ben Shapiro. And yeah. that makes me question her um, her confidence a little bit. You know, like I, mm-hmm. we've got to be confident in these conversations and willing to have tough conversations, even with people that we mostly agree with. Um, there's going to be things yeah. maybe we disagree on, and this was a good chance and good opportunity for her to, you know, ask some really good questions that maybe led to a better conversation than the one they had. Yeah, I feel like this this podcast episode is maybe a really good teaching point in communication, right? Because mm-hmm. I've listened to Ali Bestucky's podcast when she, when she has someone on that she disagrees with on almost everything, and she's very kind, but she's very bold and straightforward, right? But it was interesting because now she had someone on who she is largely aligned with, and it seemed like she almost wanted to throw her chips in with him a little bit. Right. And I can relate to that. I Mm -hmm. I get that, you know, you want to kind of protect that relationship. And I think also in her defense, probably at this time, maybe she wasn't really sure where she stood. Right. And didn't want to, um, make it too clear while she was still trying to figure it out herself. But I do just think it's, it's a really interesting human behavior communications, um, example. So yeah. 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 One other thing I want to highlight, I don't remember if this part was played in that clip, but there's one portion in this episode where, um, Ben Shapiro talks about, um, a 63 year old friend of his that he convinced to get vaccinated because of his risk benefit analysis. And Mm -hmm. he talks through the fact that, um, if people would just lay out the risk benefit analysis for themselves in, it just, this is again, showed complete ignorance because 
that's what the CDC and the NIH and all of these organizations, CMS, it's bringing down the mandate for healthcare professionals. Like they did not want us to do a risk benefit analysis for ourselves. They didn't want us to do that. They wanted us to blindly go and get the vaccine because that's what I did. I did my own risk benefit analysis mentally and thought, you know, who am I seeing in the ICU? I'm seeing people who are morbidly obese. I'm seeing smokers. I'm seeing people who are diabetic with heart disease. I'm seeing mostly older people. The people that are more close to my age all have extreme health conditions. So are my chances of getting this virus and getting extremely ill bad? You, or like, is it is it a good chance that I would get this really bad? No. Um, and if I did, how do I take care of myself? Like, do I have tools in my toolbox mm-hmm. that other people are unaware of? Yes. Like, I was doing that. And that's what they didn't want us to do. And it's just like ignorant to me that um, he is in a position to speak like this to people and then doesn't take the opportunity to actually look at the information. And another thing that I think he was wrong on is saying legally there's not much of a leg to stand on essentially because of private employers and all of this stuff because there are religious exemptions in most states and those were not honored. And when they were honored, it was on a very, um, it, it wasn't on a basis of there was actual criteria to evaluate someone's religious exemption. Like at my employer, mm-hmm. it was like a panel that was thrown together and they obviously had no criteria because some people's flu declinations were accepted and their COVID ones weren't with the exact same language. So that's telling you that there was mm-hmm. like no criteria to, in and also like, how do you judge someone's religious exemption? So the, legally there is, there is a way to go about this. The only reason there's not is because of our judicial judicial system in this country being corrupt. Yeah. Sorry. I'm just like so fired up about no, this. And I know, like, I know, I hope that people understand, like, I'm not just trying to dog on Ben Shapiro here, but yeah. like, guys, seriously. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when we decided to talk about this, it it did have to be a little bit of a discussion between you and I to be like, do we want to bring up Ben Shapiro's name on our podcast? Because like we said, we do appreciate a lot of what he does and we do align with a lot of the things that he talks about. But we firmly believe that everyone should be held accountable, right? And yes, oh, maybe now's a good time to play his apology video. Yeah, let's play this. We were lied to by Pfizer. We were lied to by the government. We were lied to by the Biden administration. We were lied to. I don't like being lied to. I don't know about you. And it makes me not believe these people. Now, as I've spoken out before, I got vaxxed twice. I'm double vaxxed. My wife being a doctor and seeing vulnerable patients is, is triple vaxxed. But knowing now what I know then, would, knowing then what I know now, rather, would I have actually gotten vaxxed based on the information that my actual chances of death from COVID were exorbitantly low. And I wouldn't be preventing my parents from getting, that was really what I was concerned about because we were bubbled with my parents. Would I have gotten it? I don't know. I really don't know. I think maybe not. Because again, my personal risk when it comes to the vaccine was extremely low when it came to COVID. I'm a young, healthy male with no pre-existing conditions. And then he also, he had tweeted, there's a tweet at the end of this, um, from December 8th, 2020, and says, in other words, get vaccinated, dopes. Yeah, so that that was a really interesting apology. Again, his classic Ben Shapiro, like kind of like angry communication skills that he has that people do find really entertaining and engaging. So it wasn't so much an apology. It was more like he's really upset that he feels like he was lied to. Um, and yeah. He feels like he was lied to. And then there's people that lost their jobs. Yeah. That yeah. were lied to. There's people that have vaccine injuries that are so serious because they felt yes. like they had to get vaccinated to keep their jobs. Like, mm-hmm. I just, this is so shallow. And the other thing is, like, he still doesn't get it. Because in that in that apology, he literally says that he got the vaccine, you know, mm-hmm. mainly to protect his parents. And he's realizing mm-hmm. that's not the case. But then- 
goes on to say that his wife obviously is triple vaccinated because she's a doctor and sees vulnerable patients. It doesn't doesn't prevent transmission. Mm -hmm. So there's no reason that your wife automatically has to get vaccinated. So he still doesn't get it. Like, oh. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, his wife's free to do whatever she wants. Like, that's fine. But at this point, you can't rationalize that as her reason for having to have it. Because he's saying in one breath that he was lied to about the transmission thing and maybe he wouldn't have got it then, but his wife obviously needs to get it because of the transmission thing. So yeah, it doesn't make sense. Um, I do appreciate the fact that he was willing to say that he was wrong. Mm -hmm. I think more people need to be willing to do that. But this is the example we wanted to give for like, you know, people really made fun of me in the beginning and questioned me for wanting to take my time with it. It's guys, COVID didn't start. And I was like, oh, I'm never going to get vaccinated for COVID. That wasn't my approach. It was more like, I would, I just don't feel good about this yet. I want to wait. I want to see. Um, and as time went on, I became very, very certain that I was just not going to get the COVID vaccine. But I think we need to allow for people to have that space to like take in information and let their opinions evolve over time. And I feel like in the approach that he took at the beginning of the pandemic and in that interview with Ali Beth was very much like, you're, you're kind of stupid not to get vaccinated. And if you think there could potentially be any problems with getting the vaccine ever, then, then you're kind of stupid again. Mm-hmm. And that if you don't believe all the stats that, that the CDC is putting out very carefully, then you're kind of stupid again. Um, So I do hope that this was a learning experience for him as well. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely appreciate his ability to change his mind and his ability to admit he changed his mind. Mm. My main problem, like, because if this was somebody who is not, like, constantly, like, promoting big government and stuff, I would have no problem with his original conversation. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. No problem because that's where their heart is. Right? But his promotion of small government and – all of these things, and then going into that conversation where you blindly trust the CDC, just that, that is what really has me like turning my head, like, you know, kind of like cocking my head like a dog, like, really? Like, (laughs) I don't know. So I I just, some, a theme for me lately has been pay attention to who you're paying attention to, pay attention to the conversations being had and, um, Make sure that it's good conversation, right? Make sure people are giving you something more than sound bites and headlines. And really, like, when we look at that conversation between Ben Shapiro and Ali Bestecki, it was a very repetitive conversation where he just talked through all of the points promoted by the CDC. There wasn't really any actual information given um, or any actual thoughtful conversation. It was just like, this is what I've heard, and this is what you should believe. And so um, I would just say... Let's all look a little deeper than the surface, right? Always. Absolutely. And also allow yourself to not be turned off when someone's wrong once, you know, like yep. I listened to this episode when it was released August, 2021, sorry, 2021. And I did not agree with the episode when it aired so much so that I still remember it more than a year later when Ben Shapiro posted his apology video to bring it up to Rita and be like, actually, I listened to this episode over a year ago with Ben Shapiro and Ali Beth Stuckey that really turned me off and I didn't agree with. And then I sent it to her. So it stuck with me that long. But in between that time of like 14, 15 months, whatever that was, I still listened to Ali Beth Stuckey's podcast because she still has valuable information to share. I still would occasionally listen just as often to Ben Shapiro as I did before because I know that he still has good information to share. The thing to remember is that whenever I'm listening to anyone share information, I'm running it through a filter, right? We don't blindly trust everyone because of the Mm -hmm. fact that they're on one side or the other or they've said good things in the past, no matter who it is at all times, even us, even us, that's even us, like our responsibility is, and your responsibility when you're listening to us and to other people is to run it through a filter, like have your discernment up no matter what. That's, that's the key here. I love our Kaleidoscope Kids Bible so much. I love them for a couple of reasons. The first reason might seem really shallow, but 
they are decorating my mantle in a beautiful, colorful display. I love that each of the books has like this watercolor um, cover. They're very colorful, but they're really, really nice. And so they're nicely contrasting against the wood on my mantle. And I love that. But I also love that every night I sit down with my kids and we read through the Bible together. Kaleidoscope produces single volume books of the Bible that are easy for your kids to understand, but it's all of the Bible in these single volume gospels. So we just finished up Acts. It was all of Acts, but written in a way that my kids could understand, apply to their lives. And just the tidbits of theology that Kaleidoscope puts in as well is so valuable. So I love them. Christmas is coming up. You guys have Kaleidoscope on your radar for that. Yeah, I'm planning on, actually, I'm going to talk quiet now because I think my kids came in from playing outside, but I'm planning on gifting them some for Christmas. I'm really excited about this. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. My kids often listen to the episode, so I'll have to skip over this part. (laughs) Yes. Um, I think it's a great gift idea. So go to readkaleidoscope.com and don't forget to enter the code BOOMCLAP to save yourself 10% off. All right, let's declare a pandemic amnesty. The Atlantic article that came out that has flooded the internet with opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know anyone who, I don't know. Well, I just don't really know a lot of people anymore who want pandemic amnesty because most people have either been in my boat or switched over to my boat. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, right? Like most mm-hmm. people are done being on the pandemic pandemic bandwagon. But yeah. um Let's read some definitions first, because like I'm all about giving forgiveness. Like I have forgiven the people at my workplace. I know like it might not come off that way sometimes because Mm -hmm. I'm still fired up about it. But there's a difference in forgiving and forgetting. And there's a difference in being able to forgive and still want accountability for future um, responses, right? So absolutely. um, Forgiveness, the act of forgiving or pardoning. um, I particularly relate in in this case to the third definition definition, disposition or willingness to forgive. Like forgiveness is my disposition right now. Like I'm Mm -hmm. forgiving to these people, but Mm -hmm. I am not willing to give amnesty, which is different than forgiveness. Amnesty Mm -hmm. is a general pardon granted by a government or a forgetting or overlooking an act of oblivion, which is, I feel like exactly what this article is calling for an act of oblivion, specifically a general pardon or conditional offer of pardon of offenses or Mm -hmm. of a class of offenses or a proclamation of a pardon. So an act of oblivion is, I feel like exactly what they're asking for in this article. Yeah. What a bad idea. And I want to make it clear, like, this is what happens on social media sometimes is people will share like headlines and stuff and it'll give a different impression than what's actually going on. This isn't like a politician or something calling for amnesty, although I'm sure they would love that. This is an economist from Brown yeah. University. Like she, this is just some lady writing an article. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's not like the CDC or whatever is, is searching for amnesty. Um, who knows? Maybe this will give them the idea, but I mean, I think uh, they already have an assumed and presumed amnesty. I think so. I mean, I think they, so. they don't worry about being held accountable. Let's be no, honest. they're they're honestly just trying to move <laughs> on. They're trying yeah. to make it seem like what just happened didn't just happen. And that that's yeah. kind of their amnesty strategy is to try to trick people into thinking, yeah, this didn't happen the way that we thought it did. But when it comes to headlines, mm-hmm. like being misleading, this is one time this headline is spot on. The yeah. amnesty headline is exactly what they talk about throughout the article, right? So I'll just read the beginning of it really quick. It says, in April 2020, with nothing else to do, my family took an enormous... Oh, this isn't the beginning, but this is a portion that's really good. Sorry. My family took an enormous number of hikes. We all wore cloth masks that I had made myself. We had a family hand signal, which the person in front would use if someone was approaching on the trail and we needed to put our masks on. Once, when another child got too close to my then four-year-old son on a bridge, he yelled at her, social distancing! These precautions were totally misguided. In April 2020, no one got the coronavirus from passing someone else hiking. Outdoor transmission was vanishingly rare. Our cloth masks made out of old bandanas wouldn't have done anything anyway. But the thing is, we didn't know. Okay, 
Mm-hmm. My like, I have so much to say about this article, so I don't know how I'm going to get to everything. But the main thing I want to highlight and not forget to highlight is they did know. Okay, this is what this girl is missing out on. She's coming at this from the standpoint of like, oh my gosh, this pandemic happened, and these people just like were doing their best and trying to protect us. She's leaving mm-hmm. out the fact that regardless of how COVID happened. It was a crisis that was used to set an agenda in place, right? And she's leaving out the fact that our politicians operate largely on the um, the motive of never let a crisis go to waste. This was a crisis, mm-hmm. and they wanted to mm-hmm. utilize it to um, promote an agenda, okay? So they did know. And specifically, she's talking about the mask thing. There are all kinds of studies on surgical masks not being a tool of prevention of viral vector, and they were mm-hmm. all pulled down, okay? You could find them back mm-hmm. in 2020 at the beginning, and then by June 2020, they were all pulled down. So yeah. they did know these people- Well, to be were, fair, this yeah. lady probably didn't know. That's what I mean. Like, she's yeah. operating under an improper- Yes. Like, like, her perspective is her perspective, but it's a wrong perspective. She does not yes. have all the information to be writing no. an article like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. She goes on to say that she is currently co-teaching a class at Brown University on COVID. Okay, let's just take a minute. Could you imagine auditing that class, just sitting in the back row, listening? Part of me thinks that I would be fascinated, and part of me thinks it would be physically painful to sit and listen to Mm -hmm. their, their take on COVID and just to hear them spin that philosophy. Yeah. I think this is happening at a lot of universities, like where they they now have like professors dedicated to teaching classes on COVID. I'm pretty Mm. sure University of Illinois has one. I I think I heard something about that. And then um, we were at our 4-H fair this uh, summer and this guy came around. um, Like, I I don't like to just, I judge a book by its cover, but you could Mm -hmm. just tell he's probably not somebody I'm going to vote for. Like we have different values, Mm. Um, (laughs) just like the way he carried himself and spoke. Mm. Um, And he handed his flyer to us and he had something in there. He worked for a university and was teach. Oh, it was Purdue. He worked for Purdue, um, the college I went to and was teaching a class on COVID. I'm just like, this is crazy that they've created, this is totally an offshoot, but it's crazy to me that they've created like whole courses with credits for college kids on this. Don't even get me started on college right now. I'm so frustrated with the whole whole notion right now. I know this is totally an offshoot. I'm sorry, but like, it just (laughs) has me thinking like, oh, like, isn't that wild? It is wild, but okay. As if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you guys, you know that my husband has been taking some university courses over the last few months. Thank the Lord. He's almost done. He'll be done beginning of December. It has been a very eye-opening experience, to put it mildly. The stuff that they are taught in university, the stuff that they pay to be taught, that is a bunch of, I'm sorry to say, garbage, absolute garbage. And I don't need to bring up that UBC article right now, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it in the, the show notes for people to just see what the state of higher education is. And yeah, now they're, they're doing these COVID classes as well. Um, and I would just be so curious to, to take in the content of those courses and just yeah. to see what are, they, what are they telling people. Okay, since we're totally off track, Now, I'm I'm just going to keep this off track for a second. (laughs) (laughs) We were talking about worldview at the beginning of this episode, Mm -hmm. and I meant to bring up, um, I told you about it earlier today, when we were up in Chicago this spring, there's a UIUC, University of Illinois, Chicago billboard, and it says something. I have a video of it on my phone. It's not very good. I need to share it um, so you guys can see it on social media, but it's just like... um, we'll shape your worldview or something. Like if you don't have a worldview, we'll shape your worldview. And so on the topic of colleges and worldview, Mm -hmm. which we've touched on both now today in this podcast, like this is why we need to be rooting our kids at home now because when you get to college, like they not only will shape the child's worldview, they want to. 
shape yeah. their worldview. Oh, yeah. They want and to. No, like, that is a goal, mm-hmm. like, openly stated. Yes. And not just college. I mean, it starts in elementary school. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was talking about the book that we're reading right now. Me and the kids were reading Wonder as our read aloud book. We've seen the movie as well. The book is excellent. Movie is great too. Like we are, don't get me wrong, we're loving the book. We love the story. But it's just so interesting reading through something that you're really enjoying and then coming across something that I honestly think the majority of people who listen to the book would think, oh, that's a really, really good idea that just sets me on edge. And so this is another example. Um, In the book Wonder, this little boy, August, goes to middle school for the first time and he has what seems to be a really nice man as his English teacher named Mr. Brown. And Mr. Brown um, kind of runs his English class on his precepts, which come from his values. And I just get so nervous when I hear um, that someone else is going to use their values to teach my children values. Not that other people can't, absolutely, but like, for example, Mr. Brown, his main thing was that he told the kids the most important thing is that they know who they are. And while I think it's important that they know who they are, I, I think that is a very broad thing that you probably can't cover in an elementary class, especially if you have kids that come from all sorts of different worldviews, right? And he, so his first precept for September, for example, was when given the choice between being right or being kind, choose kind. And to me, I'm like, that's not even a choice. Like, why can't it be both? Why can't you be both kind and right? Like, I don't think there's ever a situation where you have to give up speaking the truth in order to be kind. Mm-hmm. Like why, why does that have to be mutually exclusive? So yeah. this I'm just really glad you brought th- that up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, Cause when you, when you mentioned this, this is a conversation we also had on Boxer earlier today that we weren't planning to talk about on here, but like, this is the thing like with, with a lot of media out there now, books, movies and everything, there's this undertone of woke that's there mm-hmm. regardless of how good the, the general content is. And when you said that about like who know who you are, like that means so many different things to so many different people right now. Um, when, you know, we talked about the transgender issue a few episodes Mm -hmm. back, like that might mean something along those lines to a certain teacher. Right. And for me as a Christian and you as a Christian, that means something totally different. So that is a bit dangerous territory to get into, um, with children. It is. And since we're on this topic, yeah. And since we're on this topic, I did mention that UBC article earlier. I just kind of passed by it and said I'd put it in the show notes, which I will, but I'll just get into it a little bit here. This is a professor at the University of British Columbia. Her name is Katie something, I forget. And she is a professor in the occupational therapy program, which to me, occupational therapy is a very objective thing. It should be at least, right? Rita, you're a nurse, right? Occupational therapy should be extremely science-driven, objective. (laughs) Um, But she now has adopted what she calls value-driven approach to her teaching. So I just find that really interesting. (laughs) She mentions her values. Let me see if I can find them here a second here. Um, I feel a need to align my teaching with my values. She says her values are connection, love, community, humanity, justice, equity, and mattering, mattering. So at first glance, very odd choice, right? All of these things, if you just quickly breeze through it, you're like, oh, well, that sounds like really good values. Um, But as we know, in 2022, there's multiple definitions for almost every single word. And I know what she means by these words is not exactly what I would want to be taught as an occupational therapy student. Um, She also gave them the option to either complete an exam for like, you know, whatever, the end of the course, do a exam where your knowledge is tested or complete what she called a critical creative project. And she says around 70% of people chose the critical creative project in which they had to create an artifact, which represented the learning that they were still wrestling with. 
This is occupational therapy, okay? She continues. For example, one this is student- so psychopathic. Like this is, <laughs> I know. This is insane. <laughs> I know, and I feel mean saying that, but this is, I'm just trying to point out that this doesn't make sense. Occupational <laughs> therapy. She goes, for example, one student used kintsugi. I don't know how to say that. I apologize if it's wrong. It's the Japanese art of putting broken pottery pieces back together with gold to represent how during the course, again, occupational therapy, her worldview had been fractured and was rebuilt and evolving into something so much more. And then she says, marking those assignments was such a joy and to see students demonstrate awareness of their learning was so powerful and vital as they embark on their field work. I, personally, I had to notice my own response when I introduced these new approaches. So much of this related to power and I believe it's my responsibility to constantly challenge myself to share power more. If more of us shared power, I believe it would transform the whole university. So like someone's that- worldview was fractured. And again, occupational therapy. Those words what? she put together don't even make sense. Like none of that yeah. even makes sense. And this is where really like am. postmodernism gets us and a <sighs> culture where everything is whatever I say it is gets us. Like these no. people, like, okay, this is an occupational therapist, okay? Mm-hmm. Not as big of a deal as maybe your surgeon. But imagine your yeah. open heart surgeon goes, I mean, like some of them are pretty bad anyway. And yeah. now you've got some of them going to schools <laughs> that let you like put some pottery together and like say that's um, what you learned. Like, okay, do you really? <laughs> and, and <laughs> I'm it's cracking myself like, up right now. Like this is like so stupid. Like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. Like, yeah. Can you okay. ima- like we're we're learning about ancient civilizations and we talked about this a couple episodes ago like the rise and fall mm-hmm. of empires like this yes. is how empires fall like <laughs> <laughs> like we're all gonna be dead because we're okay. so stupid. I will say I'm feeling a little bit convicted because I kind of said Ben Shapiro was really condescending and I feel like I am being really condescending right now and you know I'm well. I admit I'm struggling it. Like, with I have, that because I don't know. I have know nothing what wrong with do. his condescension. Like, there's no problem I have with that. The right. only problem I have is when it's pointed at the people that he's like, he's typically like aligning with. Yeah, 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 like he's wrong. Like, yeah, yeah that's my problem. And who with knows? It. People are going to think we're wrong about this too because trust yeah. me, I know people, I know teachers who would read this and think it was the greatest thing ever. Can you but, ask Kyle if he can just go ahead and have his <laughs> students put together an emotional piece like to Oh my goodness. <laughs> to uh, oh demonstrate goodness. what they've learned this year. He's had to do stuff like that in his courses. Like he I just I'm so proud of him for not internally combusting as he has dealt with the absolute ridiculousness that has been in each each and every one of the courses that he's had to take. Yeah. I, I can't yeah. imagine. Well, I can't imagine because, like, I worked in that sort of environment as well. But, like, mm-hmm. at the same time with the teacher thing, like, it's it's getting so insane. It's next level. Okay. Like, guys, we got way off track, <laughs> but I enjoyed that. I don't know. I needed that. Um, yeah. But back to the pandemic amnesty thing, th- I think the other main point I want to make with it is you can't ask for amnesty on something you're still doing. Like you can't mm-hmm. say like, I want amnesty for my, um, my, you know, crime that I'm still committing. And this right. is what's happening. Like we, we have people asking for amnesty on wrongs made during the quote pandemic, but those wrongs are still happening. We just had the, um, CDC add the, chi- the vaccine to the childhood vaccine schedule, skip the fact that it's not, um, that it's not fully approved. Like they're, I guess after we recorded that episode, I learned that Mm. essentially like this is allowing them to skip that step. Um, Mm. and they didn't even meet their own criteria. So they're still making bad decisions. The CMS mandate still stands. There's still mandates for, um, for military. So they're asking for amnesty on something that is still, you know, wrong, still being committed against people in this country. So how can you ask for amnesty when you haven't, you know, you, you don't have to ask for an apology, but you at least have to write your wrong, right? You at least have to stop doing what you were doing that was wrong. Totally. 
And so that article that, you know, this lady's asking that we all just grant amnesty to the people that were in charge of the pandemic, which is funny, in charge of the pandemic. She, <laughs> I mean, that feels a bit like what it was, right? They were in yes. charge of the pandemic. Right. <laughs> um, so she says here, obviously, some people intended to mislead and made wildly irresponsible claims. And of course, this next thing coming up is not a good idea. She says, remember when the public health community had to spend a lot of time and resources urging Americans not to inject themselves with bleach? That was bad. Misinformation was and remains a huge problem. But most errors were made by people who are working in earnest for the good of society. I have questions even about that. Like the public health community had to spend a lot of time and resources urging Americans not to inject themselves with bleach. Do you believe that? Right. No, I'm really glad you brought that part up because I forgot about that part. Like, no, they didn't mm-hmm. have to spend any time on that. They took yeah. something Trump said out of context. He never said, inject yourself with bleach. Mm. Um, he was utilizing, there was some kind of academic study and it wasn't about bleach. It was about, um, uh, I can't remember what it was, but it was something it was something along those lines. And I think he did use the word bleach and he just misinterpreted like a study, but he didn't say inject anyway. They didn't have to spend any time on this. No one was going to go inject themselves with bleach. They put it under a microscope on purpose. The reason, yes, the reason they spent a lot of time on this was because it was a way, it was just another way to spend time making Trump look bad in the media. That was their whole goal was a smear campaign against Trump. And so- This whole article is uh, ignorant. (laughs) I had no idea that bleach thing had anything to do with Trump. No idea. Yeah, it uh, did. Still, the if if you honestly think you should be injecting yourself with bleach, then public health people telling you not to probably isn't going to make much of a difference. All right, guys. I like we got totally off track on this episode, but (laughs) it's okay. It's all right. Main point is no. I'm not ready. I don't know, Cecily. I'm going to speak for myself right here. No, I am not giving anyone pandemic amnesty. In fact, Mm -hmm. it's funny. I posted on my stories today a um, video. It just says no amnesty. And then it has a video Mm -hmm. of the TikTok nurses like doing some dance. There's like 10 of them in the hallway. And I'm like, this Mm -hmm. is a prime example. Like grandparents were left in nursing homes, like unable to see family members for a year, right? Mm -hmm. Dementia worsened. You know, people didn't know their family members. People died alone. Oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. like, I was thinking about this when I was reading that pandemic article the other day. Sorry to get into another story, but um, I remember specifically a patient who was not that old. Um, She was not doing well. And I remember specifically getting, uh, like they would send mail up to the unit sometimes. And there was a letter and this patient was intubated, but awake. Um, and I went in there, I was in charge that day, didn't have patients of my own. And I went in there and I was like, do you want me to read your letter to you? Yes. And she nodded. And so I read her letter to her and it was from one of her children. And, Mm -hmm. um, she said, you know, we're praying for you. And I asked her if prayer was important to her. And she said, yes, you know, didn't say she nodded. Yes. Um, and I was like, do you want me to pray with you? And this is one of the things I miss the most about mm-hmm. working in the hospital because you could provide that for people. And in the last couple of years of working, there were so many patients I prayed with. And it was one of the highlights of my job, mm-hmm. which nodded yes. And so I prayed with her. And I just remember like being so welled up with emotion in that room, mm-hmm. you know, like her daughter has to write her a letter. She can't come awesome. see her. And mm-hmm. I remember the day like they decided to go comfort on her and she was not going to make it. Um, she died alone with a phone held up to her ear oh so goodness. her family could talk to her. Yeah. That is so wrong. And I just remember being so angry that day mm-hmm. about what was happening. And, you know, the nurse that was the patient's primary nurse that day was like, well, at least, you know, we got the phone call made and the family could talk to her. And I'm like, at least like, oh, like I just so angry. It's so wrong. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, families suffered. People didn't get to have funerals, you know, and there's Mm -hmm. nothing we can go back and do to change those situations. And Mm -hmm. yes, we need to forgive for those situations, but absolutely there needs to be people held accountable. Fauci's net worth over doubled. Okay. He made horrible, horrible decisions knowingly and his mm-hmm. net worth doubled. So there's rewards and there's consequence for the people who 
were not able to um, have any bearing on their situation, right? And so, no, we're not going to declare amnesty. We need to still hold people accountable while issuing forgiveness. Well, and I think the thing is people are so tired of all of this, but imagine all the horrible things that have been done in the world, right? Let's mm-hmm. think of World War One, World War Two. Imagine by the time the war was over, everyone's like, oh man, that sucked. Let's just move on. Let's just grant amnesty yep. so that we can just turn the page. Imagine, right? Yeah. Imagine there was no accountability for that. And that story that you told, heartbreaking, that was one of thousands, like mm-hmm. multi-thousands mm-hmm. that had mm-hmm. stories exactly like that. Not to mention the fact that the youth suicide rate spiked, that um, people lost jobs like yourself. Um, I think of Ali Lundeen. I think of your cousin-in-law, Lauren, that we had on. Mm-hmm. And, you know... <laughs> There were there were victims of this, and not just a couple. It was many, and not just the in whole one world. way, like many no, ways, multiple many yeah. ways. So, granting amnesty again. This is just a, a journalist asking for amnesty, saying that she thinks it's best if we all move on, but that is short sighted, and uh, it's not an enter- an idea that should be entertained. Just because of the fact that we want, we are truth pursuers and justice seekers, right? Right. Absolutely. Okay. All right, you guys, thanks for tuning in today and spending this last hour with us. If you want to find us outside the podcast, please check out the boomclapcommunity.com. It's where we can get to know you a little better, have more in-depth discussions with you live on video. We we love those meetings so much. So check that out, boomclap, theboomclapcommunity.com. You can also find us outside the podcast. I'm on Instagram at cecily.dickey or on my website, thegracetogrow.com. And you can find me, Rita, at RitaRogersCo.com or RitaRogersCo on Instagram. Thanks for listening.